Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life, a podcast where you'll gain insights from relationship experts and entrepreneurial couples who have moved through conflict and into a better life. Crack the clarity code and create deeper connections beyond the messiness of relationships. Here's your host, Judy K. Herman. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Better Relationships, Better Life. I'm your host, Judy K. Herman. What I found is that so many of us live with some degree of distractions in our marriages. So I wanted to kick the episode or this podcast off with my interview with Melissa Orlov. Melissa is a marriage consultant who specializes in couples where one or both partners are affected by ADHD, which is attention deficit disorder. She is the founder of ADHDmarriage.com and author of two award-winning books on the impact of ADHD in relationships. I'm so grateful to host a foremost authority on ADHD and marriage on my podcast. So take a listen and get some clarity and wisdom for yourself. Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life. My name is Judy Herman, and I am so pleased to introduce you to a woman who is very much an expert on ADHD and the ADHD marriage. And she has written a book. Her name is Melissa Orlov. And I'm telling you, I've read this more than once. <laughs> and it's not, whoops, I've read it more than once. And she also has a website, the, uh, the ADHD Marriage, and has been in this field is what we as therapists, we go to her for uh, wisdom and how to help our clients and especially with marriage issues and that kind of thing. So Melissa, tell us more about you because you have a bio that is extremely impressive. You've made <laughs> such an impact and I've been following you and I may not have known of your work for several years and resonates on so many levels in a personal way, not just clinically. I'm being very authentic here. Well, I uh, thank you. Um, I've been doing this for quite a while. I actually started in 2007. And um, I give, uh, at this point now, I've written two books. I've uh, given, I give seminars. I teach therapists how to work with couples impacted by ADHD, et cetera. So I'm fully enmeshed in this um, deep and I think wonderful topic. And we so depend upon you, really, as therapists. I'm not kidding. Your book has been very instrumental in helping couples, helping me personally, even to understand and the, and the webinars that you give and the teachings that you've done and the speaking you've done and thinking, she's describing me. <laughs> that makes so much sense. <laughs> but on so many levels, just as, as a mom, you talk about, you know, how you've raised your, your children and... I just really admire you. I just want to tell you up front, admire you as a human being who has chosen to be enmeshed in this field and, and be a resource for so many of us that need this resource. So first of all, I want to tell you, thank you so much. Thank you. I actually find it very fulfilling to be able to provide people with the information that they can use to change their lives pretty dramatically. So it's exciting and a great work. I would like for you to address a few things. Uh, I, I know I do uh, a lot of people who are in business together or they're, you know, raising families, entrepreneurial couples. And I have noticed just in my private practice 
and I don't know if you've noticed it, but there is either like mood disorders or ADHD that's going on, which actually heightens their, you know, their vision and being able to think bigger than, than some of some other folks that may not be in business. Can you speak to that? Have you noticed well, anything like that? So, um, Mood issues, emotional regulation is definitely a core part of adult ADHD. So uh, it, it may or may not be uh, mood um, disorders, but certainly there's a lot of emotional dysregulation issues for people impacted by ADHD. I think what I see when I see entrepreneurs come in in particular um, and work with them is a great deal of, of creativity. So if you think of the ADHD brain as one that will follow a lot of different paths, um, that is a particularly uh, positive thing for somebody who's entrepreneurial. You know, you're not afraid to follow down a path and see where it goes, get really invested in it, uh, maybe hyper-focus on it for a while. And so I see a lot of the, uh, you know, what sometimes is called impulsivity. Now you can think of it as impulsivity of thought uh, when it comes to creating new ideas as an entrepreneur. And that's very much part of ADHD as well. There are a lot of people who are entrepreneurial who have ADHD. I want to back up a little bit because there may be some people listening that are not, they, they really need a, like a basic definition of ADHD. And I think that would be very helpful. So can you give the, the definition of that? So ADHD is, um, is about neurochemistry in the brain. Um, typically you inherit it. Um, occasionally people get it from brain trauma, uh, but it is about not having enough of certain neurochemicals, particularly dopamine, which is part of the attention and the reward system. So people who have ADHD and particularly adults who have ADHD, um, the number one symptom is uh, chronic distractibility. Um, so a moving of their attention. It's really ADHD is actually misnamed. It's not a, about attention deficit. It's actually about attention dysregulation. So you might pay a lot of attention to something uh, that's of interest mm -hmm. and have great difficulty focusing on something that's not of interest. Um, people who have ADHD typically are chronically distracted, as I said. Many of them have impulsivity. They have very energetic brains, uh, lots of things going on, um, often have difficulty either initiating or completing tasks uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, some have short-term memory issues. Uh, some have coexisting conditions like depression or anxiety. Uh, and uh, there's some impulsivity. So a lot of different things. There's also this emotional dysregulation that I talked about. A number of different things. While the symptoms are uh, all the same because that's the definition of having ADHD, how it presents in different people varies. It, and it does look different in children versus adults too, doesn't it? So yeah. I do come across a lot of people that are very skeptical. And, and let's just say, you know, adults have gotten along maybe for years, decades, and then it, it shows up perhaps in, in their marital, um, you know, the fighting and the chronic, um, you know, dissatisfaction and that dynamic, which I know you've m mentioned it before, this parent-child dynamic that you can have in a marriage and um, where, where one parent or one, one spouse will take the role that you, what you've said, the non-ADHD spouse takes the role of parent over the maybe the quote-unquote irresponsible ADHD spouse. So can you speak to that, how that shows up in marriage, how some people can, can move along in life until 
maybe they're in their early 30s or even 40s for that matter. And then yeah. they get, then it, it like shows up. Well, and it's been there all along, but they've been compensating for it. So for example, if you're single, it doesn't matter if you complete the tasks because you're totally in charge of it, you know, soup to nuts. <laughs> so no. Nobody's depending upon you uh, for most things to complete tasks. Um, and quite frankly, when you are a couple, but don't yet have children, there's a lot of leeway and flexibility in the relationship. It typically aligns that people start to have more problems when they start to have kids because the additional um, sort of uninteresting uh, but necessary tasks just multiply like crazy as soon as you have a child in the equation and the expectations about how each person is gonna perform and the urgency um, mm -hmm. also change. So that's when it shows up for people who have less uh, extreme ADHD, if they if they had more extreme ADHD, they've they've had it all along. And when they look back at their school records and at their childhood and even their careers and things, they can see it. And ADHD is very real. There is there are a million, maybe not a million, but a ton of research studies that um, that show that it's real and also show that it can have a very big impact on somebody's life. So just because you were coping well enough with the symptoms doesn't mean you don't didn't have ADHD or that ADHD isn't real. Well, I will say on a personal level that I had a, I, I had a diagnosis of it. I was curious about it because of the marital issues and I've written about it in my book, Beyond Messy Relationships. And, and I was very skeptical of it, Melissa. It's like, okay, how could I have gone this far? How could I have gotten all A's in my master's degree program and 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 be diagnosed with this and and it was the, the um psych psychiatrist uh psychologist that was doing the testing said well judy it was like you were you know you have overcompensated all this time and think yeah. of how easy that it could be well since i have been treated for it and i couldn't have written my book if it weren't being you know getting on the proper regulated medication and so on and so forth so it really is a thing but i think it really is a thing to to be skeptical if you have gone for you know a period of your life and then it and not that it shows up but but it shows up even though it was there but not diagnosed earlier right and because you've always lived your life that way you didn't realize how hard you were working to compensate for it yeah um, because you had always done that right so and you'll see this also with the sort of work family split where somebody does very well at school or at work i mean adhd doesn't say anything about how smart you are People who are really smart have ADHD. People who are not so smart also have ADHD. I mean, it's not correlated to how smart you are at all. Um, but you'll see somebody who says, well, I can't possibly have ADHD because I'm so successful at work. Look what I've built at work. Mm -hmm. um, and yet they do uh, because uh, they, what they have is a different kind of structure, a different kind of setup, a different set of goals at work. And when they go home, they tend to be more enmeshed in the things that are of, of less interest to their ADHD brain, harder to engage with, harder to follow up on. There's no innate uh, organizational structure unless they create it. All these things that 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 people with ADHD do less well with. Mm -hmm. um, so so being really successful doesn't mean you can't have ADHD. You can look at some folks like Richard Branson, like highly likely to have ADHD. He's incredibly successful, but yeah. you know.
Well, that's so true. But but honestly, going back into my childhood history, I did have a hard time reading in the first, second grade, and I was held back. So it's kind of like, oh, so I was overcompensating as an adult. But um, but it is very real. And and right, if you could do you could do brain scans and actually see see it, but that's not how they test it, right? No, they don't. They don't test it that way. And the brain scans. So the research suggests that the size of different parts of the brain are um, different for people who have had ADHD, and that the logical thinking part of the brain uh, matures later, about three years later, for people who have ADHD. Which is a little scary when you're thinking about your ADHD teenager starting to drive mm, <laughs> with yeah, the, the equivalent brain of a 13-year-old when it comes to good judgment. But um, uh, but they, they, it's not diagnostic to look at a brain scan, even though some folks would tell you it is. It's not what gotcha. the, the general agreement is in the professional world. But people do need to go to a psychologist to get tested, right, in order to have an official diagnosis. A psychologist or a psychiatrist is best. You can get um, some people, if they don't have access to those resources, do go to their family physicians. Mm -hmm. uh, but then end up, uh, you know, you don't get as uh, helpful, usually, um, a, a medical um, assistance because those doctors don't tend to be uh, as versed in all of the ways to manage ADHD because it's not just about medication. There's this saying that pills don't teach skills. It's about the it's about things that change the way your brain functions, and that includes things like better sleep and exercise and um, meditation and whatever. And then it's about behavioral changes that you make to stay more organized, to remember to do things, uh, to find things, uh, those kinds of things. And then there's also an aspect which is where I focus my work, which is how do you relate to the ADHD uh, in your relationship? Uh, so it's about how those symptoms are expressed and how you do or don't follow through on the things you are committing to and the, and the, your affection and all that. And also in the other partner, how are you responding to those symptoms? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and you can make a huge shift in how the couple, how happy the couple is, if you're aware of all of that um, as a way of managing ADHD in your life. You know, I think of this, Melissa, and the dynamics within a family. So if one or both spouses have ADHD, and let's just say it's gone undiagnosed for a period of time, they have two or three kids, and at least two of those kids also have ADHD. I mean, those family dynamics, unless they get some, some education about this and some help and some insight and treatment, wow, what a mess is already like, you know, th these are the <laughs> ingredients for, oh my gosh, messy relationships for sure, right? Yeah, it's, it's probably pretty chaotic. I mean, having ADHD in your relationship doesn't guarantee that you're going to have troubles, but it does increase the likelihood quite a bit. Um, and again, that's often because people don't understand what the ADHD and they don't, they don't interpret it correctly. Like if your partner is chronically distracted from you and not paying very much attention to you as a result, you're likely, if you don't know about the ADHD, to think that your partner has lost interest in you and isn't very, you know, doesn't maybe doesn't love you or you did something wrong or whatever. Whereas if you do know that the ADHD is there and is real, you can say, oh, my partner still loves me, but is particularly distracted right now. 
let's go out for a date or do something that reconnects us a little bit. Um, and those are very different outcomes. So this is the reason why knowing about ADHD is critical um, for folks so that they don't make those kinds of very basic ADHD relevant mistakes in their relationship. Well, what do you say about people who are so skeptical and then they just say, oh, you're just using ADHD as an excuse to X, Y, or Z, to be disrespectful, to not follow through. And um, so that that's something that I've heard too. So it's not mm -hmm. just knowing about it. Can you speak to that? I mean, we're talking about some character development too along the way, right? <laughs> well, so I'm, I, I'm totally empathetic when people say, oh, you're just using the ADHD as an excuse. What the experience is that those people are typically uh, having is that they're talking with their partner about the thing that is the problem. Let's let's. I'm just going to put uh, insert one thing here, which is promising to do something and then not following up on it, right? Mm -hmm. And so the person comes back and says, "Oh, I'm really sorry. I didn't get it, get to that. You know, it's my ADHD." Well, if that happens enough times, the person is just going to go, hey, you haven't changed anything. You're just using the ADHD as an excuse. And I totally get that. Uh -huh. um, the person who has the ADHD is responsible for owning it and managing it adequately. Um, nobody who has ADHD is going to suddenly become non-ADHD. That's not the way it works. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can certainly um, you know, learn how to have a system in place whereby when you promise to do something, it mostly gets done and you don't promise to do something if you know it's not going to get done just to please somebody or whatever. So you get you start to work through how you handle the fact that it's harder if you have ADHD and particularly unmanaged ADHD to follow through to completion or to initiate or whatever. You start to take those kinds of things into account. So each each partner is responsible for bringing their best self to the relationship. So for the ADHD partner, that includes managing the ADHD symptoms. And for the non-ADHD partner, that includes um, learning more about ADHD, being more empathetic towards the difficulties that it can present, and working with the partner to uh, figure out how to traverse um, the unexpected ground, I guess, that's created there. Yeah, and, and it can be so problematic, can't it, Melissa? if this non-ADHD spouse has learned all about ADHD and has and has diagnosed the other spouse and the other spouse just totally refuses to, to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's never a good idea to diagnose your partner. What I tell people, because I see that regularly, because you know, you have these people who are desperate to figure out what the heck is going on and they come across information about ADHD and maybe they have a child with ADHD and they go, well, okay, that's it. Why didn't anybody tell me? Um, and then they get on a mission and the partner who has the presumed ADHD feels sort of under attack at that point and they feel blamed. You know, it becomes all about, well, if you just fix the ADHD, everything will be fine. And that partner who's got the ADHD is saying, wait a minute, I'm not ready to be blamed for all of this stuff because mm -hmm. among other things, I can see what you're doing as well. And you're not innocent completely either. Yeah. So uh, so I always say focus on the, the actions and the issues rather than on the label. And at some point you try to pull in knowledge about ADHD so that if the, per the person who supposedly has the ADHD can start to learn about it, you can recognize it. As long as you're not on the defensive, if you've got ADHD and people start showing you what ADHD looks like, mm -hmm. you're likely to recognize yourself. Um, and so it doesn't have to be a battle 
over putting a specific label on it, right? At least not right away. Yeah, gotcha. So what does the wife, or I, I'm going to say wife, let's just say the wife has done all her research. She's, she has done, um, and, and, and this frustration is really built up. She finally has this answer from the internet or maybe from taking whatever tests are out there. Maybe you have them on your website. I don't know. But, um, and she wants to help her husband, but he, he may even, um, you know, maybe he doesn't even go to a regular doctor checkup. Maybe he's just macho man and, and, you know, he, he just wants to make sure that he's, he's good. Like he's valid. He's, you know, and, and then they, so he's resistant, let's say, to thinking that there could be anything that he could improve on. <laughs> How do you help a couple like that? <laughs> well, I mean, I think, first of all, it's, it's good to get a sense of humility. You cannot force somebody to agree with you. Um, <laughs> you know, no matter how strongly you feel that, you know, you have the, the answer here. Um, I usually tell people to back up and, again, try to create a sense of recognition. So in the book that you showed, uh, The ADHD Effect on Marriage, there's a chapter in that that shows the patterns that couples commonly fall into, like the parent-child dynamic, like the symptom response, response pattern, like chore wars, et cetera, et cetera. And what I suggest is one thing to try is uh, to pick a few very short, you know, maybe a paragraph here, a paragraph there about specific patterns that you recognize in your own relationship and read them out loud to your partner. Say, hey, listen to this. This sounds so much like us. And try to get a sense of, of some sort of, you know, uh, buy-in through that. Another thing, if, if the conversation has been going on for a long time, I'll say, look, it, as long as you can afford it, um, it's in your best interest to get an evaluation because one of two things happens. Either you don't have it and you can say to your partner, I do not have ADD, so please get off my back on this one. Mm -hmm. Or you do have it and that opens up a whole world of resources that while you didn't know about them before could help you now. Um, so it's really a win-win uh, all the way around to get that evaluation. They're not cheap. They're often like, I don't know, $1,100, $1,300, something like that. But well worth it um, if you know if your marriage is hanging in the balance. Absolutely, and there and I do come across other folks that they're just they don't want to take medication. They right. just don't want to do it. so. So can ADHD be treated, say, with mindfulness practices and uh, or seeing a coach or a therapist and just like cognitive therapy? Like, what would be the treatment if a person just absolutely doesn't want to take medication. So, I, you know, you have to figure out why. So 20 to 30% of adults with ADHD actually will not be able to find a medication that works for them for the ADHD without side effects. But the good news is that means 70 to 80% will mm -hmm. um, be able to find a medication that works without any significant side effects for them and makes a big difference. Um, so there are, so I talked about the different ways to treat ADHD and I talked about the things that change your brain. Um, each of these things, as you measure them, has what's called an effect size. You know what that is. But an effect size essentially is a way of measuring the amount of improvement you might, on average, expect to get from a certain kind of treatment. Um, medications are used in part because they're at the top of that list if you go in descending order. Mm -hmm. um, but other things are, are good as well, <laughs> two of them being exercise and sleep. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people who have untreated ADHD actually are athletes. 
and they do it because it helps them manage their ADHD. Now it happens that um, exercise provides mood stabilization, which helps against that thing, but it also provides focus. Uh, aerobic exercise provides focus for two to three hours after you do it. So you can use it tactically, mm -hmm. like at lunchtime if you have afternoons that aren't very productive. And you can also use it in general to improve your mood management, mood stabilization. The other thing that helps a lot um, is sleep. So sleep deprivation, even half an hour uh, less than what you're supposed to be getting, mimics ADHD. Uh, it also mimics being drunk. I mean, you are yeah. the, the measurements are are very extreme. It's really surprising. So, and a lot of people with ADHD have trouble sleeping. Mm. So um, re they really have to focus in on how do I set up a schedule that trains my body to go to bed at a certain time, trains my body to wake up at a certain time, you know, and, and many people with ADHD actually also have sleep disorders like sleep apnea mm -hmm. and so going to a sleep. So, so those are two of the best um, uh, mind, uh, brain changing things. Mindfulness training also helps um, in terms of slowing down and pausing, particularly if you have impulsivity. Uh -huh. And then the working with a coach is great for executive function tra skills training. So those are things like staying organized and getting things done on time or being on time, um, those kinds of things. Yeah. So you, you put a whole bunch of different things together. Medication just is faster yeah, yeah. <laughs> and very effective relative to the others. But if you can't take it, then fine. And the, and the other thing I tell people is, look, these medications are for the most part in fast, out fast. And what you gain if you try it for a week or two weeks, if you're doing a stimulant, is a knowledge about what it might do for you. And some people are flabbergasted at the improvement, um, but it's not a long-term commitment to have to take it. It's just mm -hmm. a trial. It's just yeah. knowledge. Yeah. It is working with it. Like I know that when I read a book, I always have a highlighter in my hand and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that helps me. I color code things all the time from my schedule. So there's things I've learned along the way, but I'm very religious about my sleep. Seven and a half to eight hours of sleep is, is yeah. ideal, especially for a person who's dealing with ADHD, right? Yep. And, um, and for all of us to function well, but that is so true. If we, if we just did our research about sleep and de sleep deprivation and how that is, that's, that is a baseline for so many uh, mental illnesses that I've seen in my counseling practice yeah. for sure. So, um, well, and, yeah. the, and the symptoms of sleep deprivation are the similar symptoms to ADHD. So occasionally people actually don't have ADHD. They actually have sleep deprivation issues, mm. but they're, you know, if you have ADHD, it gets more severe, very mm -hmm. fast yeah. if you don't have enough sleep or if you're under a lot of, of stress. Can you speak to the issue of, of, uh, other diagnosis such as bipolar disorder uh, looking a lot like the same symptoms of, of ADHD. Well, okay. So I'm not a bipolar expert and I'm also not a doctor. So I try not to, uh, talk about those too much. They look somewhat similar. You can have them both. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a, um, a rhythm to the, you know, the highs and lows of bipolar. Um, the one thing that I do try when I talk to people about bipolar versus ADHD is to make sure they understand that the medications that are used for ADHD can actually set off 
um, bipolar manic episodes. So you mm. want to make sure this is one reason to have an evaluation, a good evaluation. Yeah, you want to make sure you know what you have um, so that you don't, um, by mistake, do something to yourself that you don't want to do. And go through at least two weeks of plenty of sleep before you even get the, before you get your uh, evaluation, right? If I mean, you that can. I mean, some factor. people, some people can't do that. Uh, but mm -hmm. yeah, if you can, that's great. Wow. This has been really fascinating because it is a challenge. I mean, going through life is a challenge, period. But doing it with another human being, your own spouse, that's a challenge. But on top of that, ADHD, undiagnosed or even diagnosed, um, that that really puts in a whole lot of whole lot of ingredients here. To, to well, it does. You know, it's it's part of the reason it's such an interesting field for me to be in is that that um, that the p patterns that having adult ADHD either in one or both partners um, introduces are extremely predictable, mm. actually, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that's because the symptoms are defined, and then the responses to those symptoms in the other partner are sort of normal human responses. So again, I gave that example of the distractibility, you know, distraction is the number one symptom and distraction then translates into you're not paying much attention to your partner over time. Mm -hmm. And so then human response to that is to want to get more attention in your relationship. Absolutely. And so you start doing things to get more attention and, and eventually maybe that's yelling or, you know, whatever. Um, and then there's a natural human response to that. So, yeah. so the patterns are really predictable, which means that once you know what those patterns are, you can interrupt them and completely change the direction of your relationship. Now, you know, when I say it that way, it sounds really easy. Interrupting them includes managing ADHD well and managing those responses. And, and both of those are um, a challenge, but I've seen plenty of couples take on that challenge and do really well. So many of the uh, tips that you've given in your teachings and even in your book uh, would be so helpful even for people that don't have any diagnosis, right? And <laughs> and how because who who is ever motivated by criticism, like and and saying what they're not doing? Right. You know, I don't know. I mean, we're just not wired that way as human beings. But but uh, requesting what you want, you know, and being more positive and, and believing, having goodwill toward your partner, believing that they have what it takes to, you know, whatever the gaps are. Um, but yeah, we, we co-create this dynamic. I call them relationship dances, the things that we learn in our childhood and we inadvertently take them into our adult relationships, but it just doesn't work in adult relationships. So uh, it's that awareness, raising that level of awareness, self-awareness, relationship awareness, being intentional, right? Um, yeah. So if you have some of these symptoms, first of all, I think it's, you know, if you have any issues, it, it would just be really good, I think, to get this book. And don't you have, did you write one also for um, parents and children as well, Melissa? Uh, I know. I wrote another one called The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD. So the, the one that you have is the sort of, I want to call it the starter book. It gives the overview. It talks about the path through uh, a healing your relationship. And the second one, The Couple's Guide to Thriving with ADHD, um, digs more deeply into what I call emotional hotspots where mm. couples get stuck like this parent-child dynamic where one person is sort of the manager and the other person is is sort of the underachiever if you want to call it that and and there's a lot of friction between them um and sort of delves into the, those in more depth 
let me ask you so if if there's if a couple is stuck and maybe they've been to a therapist and uh, and maybe there's these symptoms of ADHD it's not quite at the surface where they identify it but just overall if there was one piece of advice that you could give to couples that are struggling what would it be um to be honest with you, I think it would be to, to really learn as much as you can about this mm. um, because that opens up so many doors. So each couple has, you know, there are these patterns. And so there are these general, general things that almost all couples impacted by ADHD need to improve upon if they're struggling. Um, but also there's this sort of individual aspect of ADHD. So somebody might have highly emotional ADHD and somebody else might have really disorganized ADHD because their symptoms... You know, the relative strength of their symptoms is different. Um, so learning as much as you can and figuring out which tools and which strategies will work for you um, is really enlightening and really helpful. And I try to provide a lot of that for people um, at my website at ADHDmarriage.com, but also in my books and seminars and et cetera. Um, and so it's a great place to start. Would you say that it's more common than what we realize? Um, well, so it's interesting. So, I mean, the amount of clinically diagnosable ADHD, they've got figures around that. They think five to 7% of adults have ADHD, but there's a large group of what, what are considered to be subclinical. So they don't have all the symptoms. They have some of the symptoms and that number could be as high as 20%. That's a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so, you know, that's a that's a big deal. So if you're subclinical and you mentioned that, you know, a lot of my stuff would be good for couples in general. Yeah, it's in part because my work is based not only in the ADHD research, but also in the generalized marital research in terms of what works for couples. And then I take that and I adapt it to the needs of the ADHD folks. So so even if you only have one or two of those symptoms, the information is still relevant, uh -huh. um, even though the proportion of adults with full-blown diagnosable ADHD hasn't changed. Interesting. That That's really good to know. And um, this has been so helpful. How can people get in touch with you, Melissa? Well, I try to make myself as available as I can um, through my website, which is ADHDmarriage.com. And, uh, and through my books and, and I give a seminar, um, for people who want to dig into this, I give a seminar three times a year by zoom, um, mm. which is uh, very good and, and helpful. And really, you know, it's eight weeks of really trying to shift people pretty dramatically in terms of where they are. So, um, so hopefully if they, if you want me, just come contact me through the website. Awesome. Thank you so much. We're going to have all these resources in the, uh, in the show notes, by the way. But first of all, thank you. Thank you so much. This has been really valuable. And for, like I said, for me personally and, and also clinically, but this is, this is a real issue. And I think you have so much, um, you know, you've, you've helped folks like me, uh, therapists and, and others. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much for being well, here. Thanks so much for inviting me to talk with you, Judy. You're welcome. Bye-bye. What an insightful episode. If something that we mentioned during this interview reminded you of your marriage, make sure you check out the show notes for resources. You don't want to miss the upcoming interview with Dan and Joanne Miller. They ground us with values that set you up 
for a vibrant and resilient marriage. So join us next time in episode two for Choosing Respect and Embracing Differences, Wisdom from a Seasoned Marriage. See you on the next episode of Better Relationships, Better Life.